I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 127, The Problem of Police Authority. Well, the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police has got me thinking a lot, as it should everyone, about what we can do about this problem of homicide not prevented by, but perpetrated by police who are supposed to protect us. It's, of course, a problem that has been erupting in America for decades, and it's been caught on video ever since Rodney King was savagely beaten back in the early 1990s. And that, of course, showed that this is also a problem of assault and crimes committed by police that are less than murder, but still grievous. And though African Americans are all too often murdered and brutalized by cops, Caucasians are also afflicted by life-threatening violence from police, as was the 75-year-old man Martin Gugino, a peace activist who was thrown to the ground by Buffalo police and ended up in serious condition in the hospital in Buffalo a few weeks ago. And actually, I've been thinking about this problem since the late 1950s, when I was a 12-year-old kid in the Bronx. I was standing by a Carvel with my friends a few days before July 4th. And today, by the way, is July 4th, 2020. And I always think about this incident, what happened to me back on that July 4th in the late 1950s. A cop car pulled up. Two cops got out of the car and announced they were looking for kids with firecrackers. When one of the cops approached me, I told him I didn't have any firecrackers. That was true. He asked me to empty my pockets. I, the same wise-ass that I am now, asked him if he had a search warrant. His response, he shoved me up against a wall and frisked me. Later, when I got home, I told my father, who was a lawyer, we promptly went down to the police station and filed a complaint. Although I described the cop, I didn't get his badge number. The, quote, case, unquote, was settled by the police about a week later when they told my father that the cops on the mission to reduce illegal firecrackers that night had no recollection whatsoever of any such incident in front of the Carvel ice cream shop. So I came to realize something which was repeated years later when I was driving my teenage daughter home and I was pulled over. Can I help you? I asked the officer. Can I help you? He angrily repeated, and he proceeded to give me a ticket for going through a stop sign that wasn't even there. By the way, I never did find out why he pulled me over in the first place. Maybe it was the Hillary Clinton for Senate sticker on my bumper. 
I did get the ticket dismissed because the cop, of course, didn't show up for the hearing. But I certainly didn't appreciate spending my whole evening in town court a couple of months later. What I did appreciate, as in completely understand, was that cops had no tolerance for any challenge to their authority. And as I heard the news about the murder of black men and women by police across America over the years, I came to understand that I had gotten away lucky. I was white. I was pushed up against the wall. I was illegally ticketed. But had I been black, I might well have been slaughtered. The common denominator in all of these cases is some challenge to police authority. The intolerance of police to such challenges pertains to all people. But when you add racism into the mix, you get police murdering George Floyd and hundreds of unarmed blacks over the years. What can be done about this? I'm not a psychologist, but it's obvious that, ironically, people who are insecure about being taken seriously, being respected, well, they seem to line up to become police. Whether they can be trained to overcome this insecurity, I don't know. Maybe a more effective approach would be to weed them out in the first place if possible, though that would no doubt deplete the pool of police candidates. In the long run, the very long run, and I mean this only semi-sarcastically, perhaps the best solution would be to replace human police with robot police. Robots which would be programmed to take the challenges to their authority in stride and which wouldn't be racist. But we can't wait for a run that's long or any length at all. As the Reverend Al Sharpton said in his magnificent eulogy for George Floyd, in a speech whose power and eloquence was right up there with Martin Luther King, we need change right now. And that begins with police not only being suspended and fired, but brought up on maximum charges that can be brought against them for their murder and assault of innocent human beings. Now, I wrote all that a few weeks ago, and I posted it as a blog post on LinkedIn, and I got two questions, which I'll read to you, and I'll give you my response, because I think they're relevant to this crucial issue. One was from Dan Pesta, whom I hardly knew previously, who wondered, quote, who programs the robot police, unquote. And I responded, yes, that would be crucial. My initial thoughts would be a broadly representative community of ethicists, lawyers, law enforcement, people from relevant communities, and of course, programmers and they would appoint a different group to actually implement the code. Such a development would be at least as important as robotic cars. Since the robotic police couldn't be killed, only damaged, that, by the way, would remove one big motive for police application of violence right there. 
And a little later, Madhusudan Mukherjee, whom I did not know at all, commented, quote, to add to that, who will program the people who will program the robots, or shall we replace the people who program the robots with robots? In that case, Dan's question resurfaces. I cannot yet imagine a robot going down on one knee in deference to a crowd and to join a protest that they believe in. That was a good question, and I responded, There are good people in the world, more than enough to program the robots. And if the robot programming was successful, it wouldn't be necessary to go down on one knee anymore to protest police brutality. Because police brutality would be a thing of the past. Well, I hope that becomes a thing of the past. Let me wish all of you who celebrated a happy 4th of July. And let's hope for a better year in the year ahead in which we are able to combat the deadly threat of COVID-19 and the deadly threat of police brutality against African Americans better than we have this year. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you found that little talk useful. I'll be back here soon with another podcast. There are so many different, crucially important topics that are in the air right now, and with good reason, that it makes sense, I think, to talk about them, think about them, and come up with solutions. So stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you here next time. Enjoy. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson spilled code about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 